0: Too, Wasn't it great the morning God gave us today? Full house, bunch of visitors. Just a blessing, man. I thank God for that. I mean, I think it's great. I pray it doesn't stop. It's God's doing. Right. The Lord's the one doing it. So I think, it's, uh, I think it's pretty neat. You know, there's more people out there today that are hungry for truth than we give them credit for. And I want to say this, too. The younger generation is highly underrated, People, people underestimate the teenage and 20 and 30-year-old people. Uh, they're, they're so marketing to them because they're thinking that's what it takes to get them. I think, I think a lot of the marketing will get them, but I'm not sure it's going to keep them in the long run. And I've had more than one conversation recently with some of them that are caught up in those movements, and they're not happy. Now, some of them are, the ones that don't really want truth, that aren't really, really maybe they're not even really saved, but if they are saved, they really kind of want to live two lives and they like the church thing and it's a social deal for them, something to do, you know, something to run or whatever, then yeah, but the ones that really are there because they don't know any better and they want truth, they're looking, and uh, I think we can reach a lot more of them than you'd imagine, so don't be shy about bringing them, bring visitors, and don't forewarn them either, I tell everybody all the time, like, don't be like, now listen. He's a little crazy, and it's a little rough, and he might offend you. Like, you're totally setting their mind off the wrong way. Let them come. Let them feel the spirit in the church. Let them get to know the people and meet people, and, and then let them hear the preaching and let the Holy Spirit hit them however he wants to hit them. And then if they leave mad, you're like, I think he's a little crazy too, but, you know, you know, it's where my wife wants me to go to church. So You know what I mean? You can get out of it. So anyways, Revelation chapter 2, look at verse number 8. Unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works, and tribulation, and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Let's pray. Father, love you tonight. Again, we come to you in prayer, uh, not as a ritual, Lord. Help us never to get in that mindset. But Lord, we come to you in prayer because we believe you're God, and we believe you hear and answer prayers, and we thank you for hearing us. And Lord, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we can come boldly under the throne of grace. And so we're asking you tonight uh, to minister to our hearts. I ask you to give us some spiritual food. Uh, God, I pray that uh, folks that leave here tonight having their hearts ministered to, their spirits fed by God, and that they'd go out of here thankful that they were here and knowing that they'd heard from you and, and being given something to edify them and equip them to continue on this week serving you. I pray you just really deal with us, God. Prepare us and strengthen us and help us to fellowship with you, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, we're just going to look at this one church tonight, but I can't promise you it'll be short, but it could be. Miracles do happen. <laughs> but anyways, um, <laughs> we're going to look at this one church and then we're going to stop there, okay? Because if I start into the next church, I'm never going to, I'm not going to be done in less than an hour. So we'll... We'll get that next church next week. But I want to look tonight at the church of Smyrna. And uh, the word Smyrna means myrrh. And myrrh has to do with, an indi- it's indicative of bitterness and death. Now, you know if you've been following this series at all, you realize that these are seven literal churches in the tribulation period that are being written to. So when you approach your Bible, now bear with me for a second, excuse my repetition, but when you approach your Bible, you have to understand All of the Bible is written for you, but not all the Bible is written to you. I think the best way to illustrate that is we go to the Old Testament law and and you study the Old Testament law. You study the Old Testament tabernacle and you can learn so many great things out of studying that. It's unbelievable the amount of spiritual help you get in your life, but you realize that you're not supposed to bring a lamb in here on Sunday and slit its throat, right? That means it was written for you, but not to you. This is why there's so much doctrinal confusion between churches. Can we lose our salvation or not? Do we speak in tongues or not? And on and on and on it goes. Where it stops, nobody knows. There's verses of scripture that are in the New Testament, and people just assume since it's in the New Testament, it's to me. Well, not necessarily. Jesus Christ came and he preached the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And for three and a half years, he was here preaching the kingdom of heaven, and then they crucified him. A testament is not of force until the death of the testator. So Christ was here, and in the King James Bible, you got the New Testament begins. Well, sure, but it's not of force until he dies. So you got to understand when it comes to your Bible, not everything is written to you, even when you get into the New Testament. We are dealing here with churches, literal churches, in the tribulation period after you and I are raptured out. We're gone. The beauty and power of your Bible is that God is God. (laughs) Excuse the understatement, the plain statement. And we got to realize that God can do miraculous things when he writes. He's writing on multiple levels at one time. So not only is God giving them doctrine for a time in the future, But at the same time, when you go through these seven churches, God is prophesying through John about what the church age was going to look like. Seven distinct periods throughout church history. So we're in a beautiful position with a completed revelation of God. You and I got something really, really special. What we have is the word of God. And that's really, it's so special that God doesn't need to give you dreams or visions anymore. It's so special that God doesn't need to give you the sign gifts of speaking in tongues and all the rest of that stuff. You don't need it because what you have here is so powerful, it far supersedes any of that other stuff. So we can look at this completed Bible and we can study through Revelations chapter 2 and 3, and we can look at doctrinally, we know, and we'll point out again tonight when we get there in just a minute, that this isn't speaking to us doctrinally, but we can look back at church history and say, it's, it's wild, how church history played out right in line with what John already wrote down was going to happen, while at the same time, John is writing to seven churches in the tribulation period doctrinally. And then on top of that, so we can look at it historically and say, it falls right into place. We can look at it doctrinally and say, this is what's going to happen. And we can look at it practically and say, this is what I need to take away from it today. So that's what we're going to see here tonight. You're talking to a church, Smyrna which is a church in the tribulation period doctrinally, but historically, this church period ran from 200 to 325 A.D. So it's a second church period, and it, and it means bitterness and death. In verse number 8, the angel uh, says to the church of Smyrna, These things say at the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So since he's in eternity, he's the beginning and the end, he's the first and the last, He has the power to write on multiple levels at one time and write a book that's in your lap called The Word of God that is so far above and beyond your ability to comprehend all of it that it's not even funny. You will never outgrow your Bible. Do you understand that? I don't care if you read it 20 times a year, you will never get to where you know it all and you understand it all and you stop getting stuff out of it. Because the God of the universe, the omniscient God Almighty wrote that book. You can't peel back that onion. You're just never going to get done doing it. I promise you that. Verse number nine, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. What the Lord's saying is this I, I realize that y'all are serving me, and there were some folks serving Him. And He said, and I see your tribulation. The tribulation that was taking place historically in this time period, 200 and 325 AD, was the 10 official Roman persecutions of the early church. Rome was butchering Christians by the thousands in gruesome ways. I mean, they would invent ways to murder Christians. If you don't have Fox's Book of Martyrs, you need to get it. That's one of the essential books you should have. A King James Bible, uh, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible. Don't use it to look up the Greek words in the back. It won't do you hardly any good at all. I mean, you could look up 10,000 words and maybe get one that might help you understand. And all you're going to understand is that the King James Bible was already right. Outside of that, some of the stuff they do with the Greek is a lie, and it's a deception, and it'll throw you off. So don't even bother that. A Strong's Concordance is good because it'll help you look up a word and find all the times it appears in the Bible. That's all you use it for. So the rest of those, you can rip those pages in the back out and throw them away, okay? But the Concordance is good. A Webster's 1828 Dictionary is essential. And a Fox's Book of Martyrs. To see what your forefathers spiritually went through because they loved Jesus Christ to see the tribulation that they dealt with, to see what Rome did to those people. I mean, it is absolutely insane the level of brutality that they had. And the problem they had was one little problem. Those people won't quit preaching Jesus. That's all they did. They weren't, they weren't pillaging. They weren't raping. They weren't murdering. They weren't putting an army together and attacking anything. You see, people nowadays will look at you and say, Oh, you're a Christian. Well, don't you know all the bloodshed that Christians spread throughout? No, Rome spread that blood. What their response is, well, you know, Roman Catholics, that's Christianity. No, that's not. Those are the ones that were crucifying, were destroying, were tearing apart our forefathers. That's the Roman Catholic Church under the label of Christianity. But the real Christians were Bible-believing Christians that loved Jesus Christ and that tried to win other people to Jesus Christ, and Rome hated them even before the establishment of the official state church, the Roman Catholic Church. So what you're in in this time period is you're in the, the seeds, the, the, the little the garden before the sprout has come up. And the seeds are being planted right now by Lucifer himself through Rome to prepare Roman Catholic Church to come in and take over. You've got the Roman government. The Roman government hated Christianity. They were trying to obliterate it. What happens when that happens, when the church is in tribulation, it's a good thing for the church. I know that sounds horrible, doesn't it? One of the worst things for the church is when tribulation stops. So everyone's like, "Oh, what are we going to do? We're going to be the bad guys before long. They're passing laws and it's going to be hate speech and you know, we're going to get in trouble for we're going to get fired from our jobs for attending a church where the pastor preaches against homosexuality and says it's a sin according to the Bible. What are we going to do?" I'll tell you exactly what we're going to do. We're going to do great. <laughs> Now, none of us really want to suffer. You understand that? I mean, I'm not saying, oh, please bring the suffering. I'm not saying I want to suffer. But I'm telling you, according to the Bible and according to church history, when the persecution begins in the church, the church multiplies like rabbits. And that is exactly what was happening during the 10 Roman persecutions during this time period. The more they tried to stomp out Christianity, the more Christianity spread. Go back with me, please. Keep your finger here. Mark Revelation 2 so you can get back quick. Go back to Acts chapter number 8. You know, hard times won't destroy you. Hard times will reveal what you actually are. Do do you understand that? It's not the hard times that ruin you. It's the hard times that expose you. That was one of the things I was talking with somebody just recently. And like, you know, how did you deal with the COVID thing? That was tough, man. I mean, from a pastoral perspective, it was like panic time, right? You're afraid, you know, people are shut down, we're shut down, and people aren't coming to church. And I'm wondering how many people are actually going to actually come back when we come back, and how many of the devil are going to get. And you know what I had to do? I had to realize, you know what? God's the one that builds the church, and those people are God's people. I remember making that decision because I thought I'm going to either lose my mind... I'm going to drive my wife crazy, my family crazy, be absolutely miserable, give myself cancer, irritable bowel and all the rest of that stuff. It's sleepless night, insomnia. Or I'm going to just say, you know what, God, they're yours. They're not mine. And I'm going to just let it go and we'll see what happens. You know what I think COVID did? It just exposed your sincerity. It just showed God and it showed me and it showed everybody else. Like, you know what, we go through tough times, but we're still here. It's a good thing. Uh, the, the lady, the broker that was doing the BPO for us on the property for the, uh, for the uh, mortgage company, she sent me an email, and then at the end of the email when she sent me all the, the, the results of the BPO, she said at the bottom, she said, It's really good to see a church growing and doing well. A lot of churches closed after COVID. Yeah, praise the Lord. Ain't that great? It's God that brings you through. Tribulation and, and hard times and persecution exposes what you actually are. It won't ruin you. Acts chapter 8, look at verse number 1. Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And a devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, as a result of what Saul was doing, they were scattered. They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. You know what persecution did? (laughs) It multiplied the preaching of the gospel. It just busted them up because they are coming. And they're like, you know what? We're losing everything anyhow. They're after us anyhow. They already got our house and our land. We're already running from our lives. I mean, I've already lost it all. I might as well tell everybody about Jesus on my way out. (laughs) You're going to kill me? I'm going to preach all the way to the end. That's what they were doing. It actually worked for God's good and for the betterment of the church and for souls to be saved. Go to Acts chapter 11. Look at what happens when the church is persecuted according to your Bible and church history in Acts chapter 11 look at verse 19 You see we we Americans we're soft man yeah. Acts 11:19 Now when they were scattered abroad now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that rose about uh, that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word to none but the Jews only and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake to the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was upon them, and a great number believed, and turned unto the Lord. See what happens when persecution arises? You know what's funny to me? Here in the Old Testament, here, here, here in the book of Acts, and they're an old-fashioned church history, when they're getting really persecuted, I mean, they're getting murdered, they're getting burned at the stake, they're getting fed to lions. They're getting put into bags full of rattlesnakes and thrown in the water. I'm talking crazy stuff they come up with to kill people. They're actually people, you're watching your brother get killed, your husband get killed, your wife get murdered. You're watching that happen, and as a result, what you're doing is becoming more full of the Holy Ghost, more passionate about preaching the gospel, and more serious about seeing as many people saved as you can before you go out. Ain't that crazy? And then you and I are going to complain because I was all upset because I got mud all over my shoes. Oh, man, it's warming up. I mean, instead of saying, praise the Lord, it's warming up, you know. I pulled in, waited to get out of the car. I'm like, oh, man, it's warming up, this parking lot. We got to do something about this parking lot. Yeah, this ain't even started yet, and I'm already on the parking lot because I don't want to suffer. Do you know one of the first things I thought? Man, I hope this don't affect visitors from coming. That's all it takes. To stop some people from being in church nowadays. And the Lord said, Mike, don't you worry about that stuff, you idiot. If that's all it takes to get them not to come, then you just let them go. Amen. These people are suffering for Jesus Christ, and they're sticking it out. Now, look at how this works out for you and I doctrinally. We'll go to Romans chapter 5. Doctrinally for you and I, because you live in America, right? So you don't have to be worrying too much about... uh. You know, getting chased down yet, hunted down yet. But don't you have some problems sometimes? Do you know God allows you to have tribulations? Look at how you and I should be responding to it. Romans chapter 5 verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. You got problems? You got hard times? You got things that don't work out your way? You know what you should do? You should stop every once in a while when God lets some bad things happen to you. And you should say, you know what, Lord, thank you for my problems. Why? Because in my problems, God's going to do something that can't get done otherwise. We glory in tribulations. you crazy, man. You crazy. Don't feel sorry for me. Why? Yeah, yeah, I'm having a hard time right now, but don't feel sorry for me. Why? Because I get a chance to draw closer to the Lord than I ever would have without my problems. Tribulation worketh patience. Patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. You know, God allows tribulation on the church. Thank God you don't have the kind of tribulation they had in 200 to 325 A.D. What a blessing. But when you do have problems, accept those problems. Thank God for the problems. Have have you ever been able to stop and say, thank you, Lord, for the problem? I mean, something that breaks your heart. You know, that thorn. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, Something that never should have happened. Something that ain't fair to you. Something that just rips your guts out. You ever stop and say, Lord, thank you for it? Why? You're learning stuff. God allows His church to be in tribulation. Aren't you glad they didn't butcher your husband? Aren't you glad they aren't going to burn you alive? Aren't you glad you live in America and you can't handle the little bit of problems you get? You can't handle some tough news from the doctor. You can't handle you know the fact that you didn't get the promotion. You can't, ha- you can't handle that little bit. You can't handle somebody saying something bad about you. You can't handle somebody mocking you or laughing at you or putting you down at work because you're a Christian. That's, That's too much for you? You can't handle mud in the parking lot? Come on, man. You know what that is? It's a trick of the devil. What happened is Constantine took over in 313 A.D., and he figured out a solution to the problem. You know what Constantine did? He married the church up with the world. When he got into government and got into authority, he said, We need to stop this persecution. We need more tolerance. Stop the persecution of the Christians. Let's have religious tolerance and religious liberty. And what happened with religious tolerance and religious liberty is the church stopped being persecuted by the world, and old Slewfoot the devil came into the church and got control. Because the devil knows your flesh. He knows how to get to you. You see, most of us, I'm I'm, I'm not being rude or disrespectful, most of us American Christians in the 20th, whatever century this is, 21st century, most of us have never dealt with the devil. We're not enough of a threat. The world has got us. We're completely complacent. We're completely happy to go to our little churches and do our thing and drive our nice cars and live in our great houses and have our great jobs and everything's smooth and everything's fine. And, you know, the doctor's right there. We went, oh, 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 I think I cough. I better go. I might be dying of COVID, you know. I mean, we've got it all, right? We're just all set. The pantry's too full. How many of you have food in your pantry right now that needs to be thrown away? Or oh, you should probably go home and check and see if it's still good. You ever open the fridge and go, oh, Got to dump that out. You got it so good that that is the reason you're not on fire for the Lord. That's how it works. Israel got to where when they were in the wilderness in tribulation and having to pray for God to meet their needs and having problems, they're like, get us back to Egypt. We had it good back there. That's the trick Constantine pulled in 200 to 325. He came in and he made it, you know, let's, let's create religious liberty. What he was doing was setting up the stage for the, church sta- for the church religion, for the state religion. Church state is what I was trying to say. So what happened? Well, when he stopped the persecution of the Christians and he made it smooth for everybody, he killed the evangelism. Welcome to the United States of America. Rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And that is a number one killer of evangelism. I don't know what it is about people that have money. They feel like they're too good to go tell somebody about Jesus Christ. You don't want to humiliate yourself. You know, I'm a business professional. Oh, yeah, okay. So, since God's blessed you and gave you money and gave you some success, now all of a sudden you're too good for God, or He's going to make you look bad, or He's going to impact your income, or He's going to cost you to be made fun of when you're at work. Really? That's all it takes? The Lord said, "I watch your works, your tribulation." He said, "And poverty now in the tribulation period, if they're following Jesus Christ, they're poor. Part of their salvation is they're not allowed to receive the mark of the beast. And in order to have the to buy and sell, they have to have that mark, right? So if you're following Jesus Christ in the tribulation period, you are a poor Christian. If you got money, you're not following him. Now look at what he says in verse 9 in the parentheses, "But thou art rich." God said, I'm sitting here in heaven and I'm watching you and I'm watching your tribulation and I'm watching what you're trying to do for me and I'm looking at how poor you are because the world won't have you. They don't care if you starve to death. They want to obliterate you from off the planet but I'm telling you something, you got a whole lot more than you think you got. Keep your finger here in Romans and go over to the book of uh, Proverbs with me if you would please. Proverbs chapter 13. I figure here in Revelation, not Romans. Proverbs chapter thirteen. You know what I meant, right? Proverbs thirteen and look at verse seven. This is a this is a scary verse to me. There is that maketh himself rich. You know in a country like this you can make yourself rich. You know, what a good marketing scheme, you can build a business. Guess what? I'm going to say something that you might really think is blasphemous. Do you know you can actually be smart enough, charismatic enough, wise enough to build a church? Without God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ anywhere near that thing. You can, you can build a massive church. You can make yourself a success in this world. Now, I'm not trying to say that it's wrong to be successful on your jobs. Do you understand that? Uh, I believe that God promotes His people. I believe God blesses like that, and I believe God can bless like that. And I think you ought to work hard, and if there's an opportunity to take better care of your family, there ain't no crime in taking better care of your family. Go for it. Just don't put it ahead of God. See, money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is. Some preachers like that verse, charge them that are rich in this world, and then they stop right there. Get it? Charge them that are rich in this world. The charge is that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, and to be remembered to to communicate. So what he's saying is, hey, you got money, praise the Lord for that money, that's great, no problem. That's not a sin, it's not a crime, it's not wrong, it doesn't mean you're wicked. You You know what, God thinks of money, but who he gives it to. No, not necessarily. The problem is when they're high-minded about their riches, when they make themselves rich, when they forget God in their money. So he says, there is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. You know what he's saying? You got nothing on the other side. Glad you got a nice bank account. Good for you. Glad you got a sweet car. Hooray. Good for you. What are you doing for eternity? What are you doing for God? And then it says, and yet there is that maketh himself poor. You see that? Do you know a church this size, the way you guys give, I guarantee you some of you could drive nicer cars and live in nicer houses if you quit giving. I mean, don't 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 follow the temptation to go check, you know, like, man, I wonder what I could do with that, right? But I guarantee you know what you're doing? I know what you're doing. It, it, it's got to be. You've got to be making yourself poor. But the Lord says yet hath great riches. You know, the real riches aren't the ones that are here anyhow. They're over there. Go back to the book of Revelation, please. He said, I I, I see thy poverty, thy tribulation, thy poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Now, that next phrase there, God says there's a certain blasphemy of these guys. And what they're, how they're blaspheming is they're saying that they're Jews and they're not Jews. You know what's funny is nowadays you got a whole bunch of it. God calls this wicked doctrine, right? He says they're claiming to be Jews, but they're not Jews. They're of the synagogue of Satan. Wow! He says there's a demonic and devilish doctrine out there, and this demonic devilish doctrine is when somebody claims to be a Jew and they're not a Jew. You know what you got nowadays? You got a lot of that going on. You got this British Israelism stuff. You've got the 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 black Jews things going on and you got more and more of that stuff happening. As this idiots that that especially this idiot out west and and there's a bunch of them and they call themselves fundamental baptists but they believe that basically that the church has replaced Israel, God's done with Israel for good. That is a demonic doctrine. It is a misapplication of Romans chapter 2. God broke her off and told you and I, don't be high-minded. Guess what? If I broke her off, I'll break you off and I'm going to graph her in again. That's the tribulation period. That's what God's doing. He pulls us out And then he goes back and begins dealing with Israel again. And by the end of the tribulation period, she sees her Messiah coming. That valley of dry bones gets breathed on and stands up an exceeding great army. God comes back for his divorced bride. He's put her away, but he's coming back to get her. Israel is the bride of God. The church is the bride of Jesus Christ. You've got to understand that. So there's a demonic doctrine that is saying God is done with Israel forever. Here's the danger of that doctrine. That doctrine is this. If God has replaced Israel with us, guess what that means? We get the promises that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Enter all millennialist and postmillennialist doctrine. Is, have you not all seen a lot of that going on now? Like all these churches, they don't believe in a pre-trib rapture. They don't believe in a tribulation period. They don't believe in Jesus Christ coming back and setting up his literal visible kingdom on this earth, right? He comes back at the end of the millennium and we're bringing in the kingdom and we're spreading it until we witness to enough people. We're kind of like, you know, Lord, help us to improve thy kingdom. And maybe, you know, preach thy kingdom, thy kingdom, thy kingdom. They, they think that this is the kingdom. They're nuts, it's a demonic doctrine to get the church to stop looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So what happens when this comes into play is extremely subtle. And human nature likes the message. But the root of it was Augustine in AD 345. He wrote the book, The City of God. And in that book, he spelled out his theology in saying that Rome had replaced Israel. Ain't that wild? There's no new thing under the sun. See, these guys then pop up with their goofy stuff, British Israelism and the, the black Jews and, and these all this kind of like crazy stuff, like the church has replaced Israel and all the promises that were to the church, to Israel are now to the church. And, and we're like, what is this crazy stuff? Where'd that come from? That's a new doctrine. There's no new thing under the sun. Augustine in 345 was already laying those seeds because the same evil spirit that was inspiring him to write that foolishness is still working in this world today. You ain't coming up with nothing new. So when people say, man, when I listen to you, you know, I can, I can hear uh, brother, brother Peacock. I can hear Brother Lentz. And I can tell you're reading Ruckman's commentaries. Good! Yeah. That's how you know I'm not a little cult leader. That's how you know I don't think I'm God. That's how you know that I'm doing what the Bible said, which is holding fast the faithful word as I have been taught to take what faithful men gave me and teach others also. We're just passing down the doctrine that we were given. Ain't none of us important. I'm just a blip on the screen of time trying to do my job and hoping somebody grabs a little something that I've been given from God and picks up on it and keeps it going once I'm just eating worms. Amen. That's the point of the whole thing. And the devil also has his church. And he has his preachers. And he has his theology. And he knows what he is doing with his theology. So when you begin to believe that God is done with the Jews forever and we as the church have replaced the Jews, right? Guess what? The promises to the Jews were what? Land. Money. Didn't God promise them land? Property? Property. Stuff on this earth, you ain't promised nothing on this earth. You got your bills paid? You got a house to go home to tonight? You get here in a car? You're going home in a car? Good, that's all grace. Every bit of that's over and above. God did not promise the church any of that stuff. What he's promised you is spiritual promises. They're much better than all the rest of that. He's promised you his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's promised you eternal security. He's promised you that if you'll allow him, he'll fill you with his spirit and produce fruits in your life. That's some good promises, but you don't even have a promise of tomorrow. You have no promise that you won't wind up in jail for believing the King James Bible. And some of you fellas that are called to preach, you got no promise that you won't wind up sitting in jail, not allowed to see your wife, not allowed to see your children, having to deal with that stinky, smelly bunch of mess that's in there. If you've ever been in there, you know what I'm talking about. It ain't no kind of fun environment. I don't care how many movie screens are up to watch or how much weights they got or if you got them. I don't, I don't, nothing about that looks fun to me, man. If they got a gym, that might help keep me sane. If not, I'm doing a whole bunch of push-ups in my own. See if I can do a thousand push-ups today. You know, I got to do something. I, I, I don't want that, but I have no promise that that won't happen. And if it does happen, God did not lie to me or do me wrong. Welcome to the church age. Man, that's not a popular message. I mean, that, that won't work at Joel Osteen's church. You understand what I'm saying? That doesn't sell at your modern-day contemporary church. Most Christians don't. Like, oh, I don't want to hear that. You know, you still want to be a Christian? Yeah. I do. That means you're doing it for Christ. You don't have none of those promises. But boy, they sure like those promises. Now watch. Here's what it looks like. When you believe that we've replaced the Jews, <clears throat> when you're not strong in your doctrine, When you don't understand that the kingdom of heaven is a literal visible kingdom where Christ will rule and reign in Jerusalem on this earth for a thousand years. After he comes back, sword comes out of his mouth at the battle of Armageddon, chops off their heads till the blood runs. He puts that kingdom in by force and rules with a rod of iron and you get to rule and reign with him if you're faithful now. If you don't understand that kingdom and you think this is the kingdom of God and Lord we're here, we pray for your kingdom and pray for the kingdom this and the kingdom that. You think this is the kingdom? Then guess what folks? We got an addition to put on. And you better give to our addition to help the kingdom. It's for God's kingdom. Don't you love God's kingdom? Lord, we're trying to help you build the kingdom. We pray that you'd build the kingdom here in South Ohio, Michigan. That literally, that doctrine literally makes 52909 Ten Mile Road the kingdom of heaven. This is God's kingdom, and you better build it. Come off the money. So you know what even some of the fundamental Baptists were doing? They were pushing people to mortgage their homes to give money to building projects. Yeah. We need to pay off the debt so mortgage your home. Pull it, they're pulling home ec loans on their houses and giving the money to the church. That's wicked. Amen. That's demonic. Don't you dare do that. If God's blessed you with money and you want to give to it, then that's between you and God. You go ahead and give to it. Praise the Lord for it. But don't you dare do something stupid because somebody's pressuring you because of the kingdom. That ain't God. If God wants us, you know what? That's not That's not the kingdom, okay? And when we got a bigger lobby and a nice front porch and it looks nice, I believe God's going to use it to help our church continue to grow. I think people will come when they look at the parking lot right now and it's like, man, there's like cars all over the grass everywhere and that's a tiny little building with all those cars. Those people have got to be sardines in there. I don't want to go in there. it's nowhere to sit, Right? I think it's going to help our church grow. I think when the building looks nicer and bigger and there's a nicer front entryway and there's more room to move, I think it's going to help us grow. I want to see that happen, don't you? It has nothing to do with the kingdom. It has to do with Lord willing helping us to reach some more souls for Jesus Christ. Maybe some Christians that aren't getting fed will come where they can get fed. That'd be wonderful. Guess what they're really for, Like the driving motivation to build this addition is? Give me a minute, okay. Brace yourself. Plug the kids' ears. It's potty. (laughs) We got to go potty, okay? It's not really a very classy thing, it's a humbling human necessity. But man, they turned buildings into being the kingdom of heaven because of a wicked doctrine that came into the church. And it's rooted in people thinking all of the Bible is written to them, and God's promises to Israel are now our promises because Israel rejected and we're the replacement. No, you ain't. Right. And it's a demonic doctrine. And God said, I know the blasphemy of them, and I realize the fact that you guys have studied your Bible and you know the difference and you ain't buying it. Notice verse 10 Fear none of these things that thou shalt suffer. Oh, I don't like that word. When I used to train jiu-jitsu, we used to talk about embracing the grind. One of the phrases we'd say at the end of class is, Osh. You'd walk in and say, Osh. What it means is, persevere in suffering. Enjoy the pain. Let's do this. And we kind of get each other fired up. Like Osh, you know, come on, let's go. What is it? It's like, in, well, the suffering really does strengthen you. But man, is it miserable when you're in it. And the Lord says, don't fear it. Don't be afraid of suffering. You know, for years when I first started training, I would literally get nervous and scared and even sometimes physically ill pulling in. Because I'm a white belt and I'm not a really big guy. If you haven't noticed, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to get smashed for an hour and a half. Ah! Like literally, I just want to just leave. But after a while and you get used to it and enough stuff happens and you know you get hurt a couple times and you keep going and you just kind of get used to getting smashed and you figure out how to go with it and not get as hurt. And not, After a while, you get to where you don't really fear it. You're just kind of like, Osa! Let's go, big man. Don't kill me or I'll shoot you. Right? You've got to learn not to fear it. If God, listen, I don't want you to suffer and I don't want to suffer. I love coming home at night Sitting down in my chair, turning on the fireplace, having my family around, getting in my comfy clothes, and being in my comfortable, warm, happy spot. Talking to my family, cutting up, watching the show, whatever we do. That is such a great feeling, man. You put in a good day's work and it's time to sit down and relax and enjoy your family. I like that. I do not want to think about sitting in a jail cell, looking at the clock, thinking, man, there was a time when I'd be sitting around my family at 8 o'clock, falling asleep on the couch while the kids made fun of me. No, I don't want to suffer. I don't like watching my family suffer. I don't care if it's just emotional. I don't like watching, let alone physical. So I don't like watching my family suffer. I hate it. I love them. I don't like watching you suffer. I don't like seeing Ramona suffer. I hate it. I don't like watching Mrs. Ferguson suffer. Any kind of suffering. You know what God said? Don't fear that stuff. In the suffering, the Lord will show up in ways He never will without the suffering. Your Savior suffered. The servant ain't greater than His Lord, is He? Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried. I already addressed that. Ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. All right, so there's some crowns that you and I can earn. And here's a crown that God offers them at this point, And he is saying, you get this crown, the crown of life. It's a martyr's crown. Be thou faithful unto death. They're getting persecuted. They're getting killed. And God's saying, you guys don't recant and you go all the way to the finish and they murder you. They kill you. I'll give you the crown of life. Now here's how I think, and, and I'm I'm pretty confident about this. It's my opinion, but to take it or leave it. You know, you, you don't really have a chance to get martyred, do you, right now? Could come to a theater near you. Let's pray it doesn't, please. <laughs> Amen. No, no, I need a better response on that. Amen. <laughs> I'm the one blasting my stinking big mouth all over the internet. You know, they come after me first. Let's pray it doesn't happen. But if it if it does, it does, and God will take care of us. But here's the thing. You ever see Paul say, I die daily? I wonder if God will give you a crown of life for dying to your flesh, and dying to the lust of your flesh, and dying to the deeds of the flesh, and living to Christ. Faithful to the end. Finish your life strong. Get a crown of life. There's five total crowns. Let's look at them real quick. Go to First Peter chapter 5. There's a crown of glory. 1 Peter chapter 5 Oh, hold on a quick second. Before you go there, we'll come back there in a second. I want to show you second Timothy 2. Go there first and then we'll look at these crowns. Go to second Timothy 2. I'll set the stage here. We'll look at these five crowns and then we'll be done for tonight. Just won't take long. We'll burn through these references. Second Timothy 2, look at verse 12. He says, "If we suffer, see that? Talking about that tonight. We shall also reign with him. Now, that's a promise to you. That's a millennial kingdom promise. When he's reigning on this earth, if you suffer now, then during that 1,000-year reign, you're going to have the opportunity to reign with Christ. So there's going to be a literal government set up on this planet. You you do understand that, right? With provinces and states and however he's going to lay it all out, he'll lay it out. But you're going to have an opportunity to rule and reign with him. So if you're faithful now, if you suffer now, you earn a chance to reign with Christ in the millennium. It says if we deny him, he also will deny us. And they say, ha ha, see, you can lose your salvation. Not in the context. The context of this is reigning. So if you deny Jesus Christ now, he's going to deny you in the millennium an opportunity to reign. You're not going to lose your salvation. You won't lose your soul. You'll lose your opportunity to reign with him in the millennial kingdom. And that is proven and clarified by the next verse. If we believe not. You ever see somebody who's born again who says they don't believe anymore. They've lost their faith. They recant. not They make fun of being born again. They don't believe in all that stuff. I know some. Watch it. Yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. You're his body, aren't you? He put his spirit in you and sealed you to the day of redemption. So what happens to you and I if we're not faithful now, if we fail now, is he denies us then an opportunity to reign with him. So we're there, but I guess you'll be shoveling some horse poop in the millennium. I don't know what you're going to do, but you're going to be doing something. You'll be doing something, but you're not going to be reigning. You'll be working in the stalls, you know. Excuse my crassness. I'm sorry. I'm working on getting a little classier as I get older. Go to 1 Peter. Please just be patient with me. I'll grow. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. I don't know. They say as you get older that you get worse, you know. You can get away with it when you're old. (laughs) It's going to be fun. 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Obviously in the context of verse 1, it's the elders of the church. I'm trying to get you out of here. So uh, verse 2, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage but being in samples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. That's one of the five crowns. you got the crown of life. That's a martyr's crown. you got the crown of glory. That's a pastor's crown if he'll be faithful. There's another crown. Look at Second Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. I think if pastors aren't faithful, they get an extra beating too, man. That's a scary deal, but I'm not going to get into that now. Second Timothy chapter 4. There's a crown of righteousness. Look at verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You love the second coming of Jesus Christ? You're looking for the rapture like this morning we sang about? Yeah. You know, he's coming. that to get you excited. Wasn't that pretty cool this morning? I was, you guys responded really well to that. That was great, man. That was a great service, great song service. Shouting amen, cheer my comrades, cheer. Does that get you excited to think about Jesus Christ coming back? You love His appearing? You get a crown for that. Do you know why? I want to show you why. Go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter number 3. Look at verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Right? So you're going to get your glorified body. We know when he comes, we're going to be like him. And we're going to see him right as he is. Now look at the next verse. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. See that? You love the second coming of Jesus Christ? You lo- I want Jesus to come. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yes. Looking for him's coming. Maybe today, brother. Praise the Lord. Lord, get us out of here. All right, so then that means that you're living in such a way that you're purifying yourself because you know, like the illustration we used this morning of the bride, right? You know when it comes your wedding day, your groom's stepping into the room and he's going to be looking at you and you want to be in tip-top shape. You want to be the most beautiful woman in the room. You want to be 100% ready for him. You want to be stunning. You want him to have eyes only for you. You want him, the second he sees you, to start crying in front of everybody. I don't care how much of a man he is. You want him to melt because you're that ready for him and you love him. Oops. Oh, I thought the rapture was my escape from paying the bills. Oh, I thought... (laughs) yeah rapture yeah maybe today meant you know I'm not going to have to go to the doctor's appointment tomorrow yeah maybe today meant I'm not going to have to deal with my problems anymore maybe today meant I get to get out of this miserable world and escape all my responsibilities you see the difference You know, there's a drastic, oh man, I can't wait to get out of here. This world's going crazy. It's just nuts. You know, China, and you know, the balloon festival. I mean, you know, they're going to start charging us admission to our own country to watch their balloon festival. You know, I mean, man, what are we going to do? There's a massive difference between that and maybe he's coming today. God, I'm sorry for that thought. God, I'm sorry for that deed. God, I got short accounts, man. Short accounts. God, what do you want out of me? I want to be everything you want me to be. Any sacrifice you ask of me is not too much. I worship you and you alone. See? That person gets a crown. All right? That's the crown of righteousness. A crown of rejoicing. Go to 1 Thessalonians. Back to your left there, First Thessalonians chapter two. Here's a good one. First Thessalonians chapter two verse nine. It's verse nineteen. Yeah, good, I knew it. Scared myself. First Thessalonians two nineteen. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? What is it? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming, for ye are our glory and joy. You know what that is? That's a soul winner's crown. You got anybody that you're taking with you when Jesus comes? You say, "Oh, how come Preacher Reagan always discourages people from doing something for God? No, I don't. No, I don't. He thinks new Christians shouldn't do anything but sit and listen to him. No, I don't. I think you need to get fed so you can grow and He can develop you and strengthen you and reveal to you what His perfect plan and His perfect will is for your life. So what do you do when you first get saved? Do what most of these people around here do. You're brand new. You don't know nothing. Go tell everybody what happened to you. (laughs) I mean, you can do that. And if you got excuses why you can't then I got probably uh, I got I got probably 10 people or more I'd like to introduce you to in this church who I've gotten to lead their friends and family members to Christ which all I did was just like dunk the ball that they set up. I didn't even I just had to jump, you know, it was already right there. I just tapped it in. They led them to Christ and they couldn't turn to the verses and didn't know where they were at. All they went and said, come see a man that told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? You wouldn't believe the difference that God did. It's great, man. You need to get saved. I don't even know how to tell you about it. It's just awesome. Come to my church. That's the kind of witness They're doing something for the Lord. I mean, you don't even have to be saved six months and you can lead somebody else to Christ. I tell you all the time, we'll work together. You don't know the verses, fine. Get them in here and then I'll talk to them. You make my job so easy. I love it. <laughs> and then I go work on my own people, by the way. Because I don't know how much credit I even get from God when I win yours to Christ. And you all like, oh, pastor led them to Christ. Oh, pastor led me to Christ. Don't forget to give credit where credit is due. Some of these babies in Christ are doing something for God. And they're bringing souls with them into the the kingdom. (laughs) They're bringing souls with them. And they're getting saved. There's a crown of rejoicing for that. Man, that's nothing like it. I mean, when you lead your first soul to Christ, man. It's, it's a, I haven't got over it. I love it. I don't know how many people I've had to, gotten to lead to Christ. A whole lot. I quit counting a long time ago because it was going to my head. But man, what, what an awesome feeling when somebody gets saved. It's a crown of rejoicing. The last one's an incorruptible crown. 1 Corinthians 9 and we'll be done. 1 Corinthians 9. Look at verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. This is a crown that you get for running your race and getting the victory in your Christian life. You can go back and read the passage later. And, and saying, God, I want to be faithful. I want to run my race. I want to be temperate. I want to die to myself. I want to please you. I want to finish. I want to get the victory. That's, that's an incorruptible crown. You get that when you get to heaven. You'll be reigning as a king. Saw that in 2 Timothy, remember? If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. And a king wears what? God offers you five crowns. All right, go back to Revelation 2. Look at that last verse. We're done. He that hath an ear. Ain't that interesting how God's like that? (laughs) Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You know what he's literally saying? If you want to listen, listen. If you don't, don't. You got an ear? Man, that's convicting, ain't it? I ain't getting nothing out of my Bible. I ain't getting nothing out of church. I wonder if you got an ear for it. And the Lord lays it out there and says, if you got an ear to hear it, hear it. If not, see you. We'll see you at the judgment. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. See that? What's the second death? whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire, right? This is the second death. You can't be heard of the second death. You've already been promised eternal life. 1 John chapter 4 and chapter 5 shows you that if you've been born of God, you have overcome. He said, he that overcometh. But you're told you've already done it. By believing on Jesus Christ, you overcame so doctrinally, the same to you. It's to a church in the tribulation period. Practically, it's to every last one of us. Historically, it's 200 to 325 A.D. And the lesson from that time period is the persecution and the troubles and the trials didn't ruin them. It multiplied them. But bringing in the world, calming everything down, giving them peace, giving them equity backing off on them and giving them a chance to be successful in this life destroyed them and on that happy note we'll stop there and we'll pick it up next week with the next church let's go ahead and pray and we'll be dismissed father we love